It seems like the conversation about race and equality is changing in America. We're in a moment that's becoming a movement. So how do you share what's going on right now with your family? How do you make sure your kids truly understand that black lives matter? How can you take this moment and make it a movement for your family? Becoming better parents, partners, and people, this is the Positively Dad Podcast. Thanks for joining me. I'm James Shaw, host of Positively Dad. My wife, Terry, and I are the proud parents of a rising third grader. Her name is Naomi. And I started Positively Dad back in March of last year to be a resource to you. We do two podcasts every single week. On Mondays, we talk to an expert about something that's going to help us grow. And on Thursdays, we talk to a dad about being a dad. Today is kind of a mix of both. We're talking to an expert and we're talking to a dad. It's really cool because our mission is to help fathers become better parents, better partners, and better people. And we're going to do that today. We're focusing on race in America over the next several episodes. We began this conversation a week ago. I talked with Andrew Grant Thomas from Embrace Race about where we are today and how we can move forward. We talked about how we can talk with our kids about you know, what we've seen over the last couple of weeks and the underlying racial injustice that's been part of America's history for you know 400 plus years. And we're going to keep that conversation going. On Thursday, we talked to a dad of two boys named Eric Lindsay, gave us a great perspective of what it's like raising two black boys in America today so that we could learn from him. And today we're going to continue that conversation, and, I, and I'm excited to do it. And we're going to continue to do that as we talk with fathers from all different backgrounds around raising kids today. Now, I'm white, my wife's white, our daughter's white, and I think that we have a responsibility to participate in supporting the black community and being an ally for change. And it's also my responsibility as a white man to become educated on my own about the challenges so many others face and, and how I can help raise a child who recognizes that um, she has a role in changing the world as well. So that's what we're going to do today, and I'm very excited. Our guest is Derek Slack. Derek is a high school history teacher in Indianapolis, my hometown. He also wrote a book called Orange, and I learned about it when the Children's Museum of Indianapolis sent out an email list of six or seven books that they thought would be really great for your kids to help learn about diversity and inclusion. And that's what Derek's book Orange is all about. He's going to share it with you. And I asked him to come on so that we could look at that perspective, that as a teacher, as a father himself, and as an author, how can we take this kind of moment that we're experiencing right now, utilize it as something to teach our kids so that they can keep the movement going? That's what we're going to talk about today. I'm excited to do it, so let's jump in. Derek, thanks so much for joining us on Positively Dad. Thank you for having me. You got it. And you're from like the best city in the country, my hometown of Indianapolis. You live there. You teach high school there. You're a dad. Tell us a little bit about you and your family and what you do. I'm a proud father of three beautiful girls, Zyla, Zanaya, and Zyla, Zion, and Zanaya. And um, I'm a husband, been married for 11 years uh, to my beautiful wife, Tria. And I enjoy life. I love giving back. I have a large family, and we all are servants. Uh, servants of the civil servants of the people. So um, I've written nine books. Uh, my latest book is called Orange, and it's a children's book. Uh, and um, with that book, I just want to advance themes of diversity and inclusion and the power of words and the importance of getting help when times are difficult. 
Well, and it's an important conversation for us to have right now. So I'm glad that we have a chance to have it. The book is fantastic. And uh, I read it this morning. Actually, you read it to me this morning on a video that I watched and, and I enjoyed it. We've got a copy coming. And, um, you know, right now, this is quite frankly, inclusion and diversity is something that our whole country could understand right now. Would you agree? I would most certainly uh, agree. I, I think what's being awoken in the consciousness of um, our citizens is how uninclusive we are and how much our pain connects us. And I think it's just a, a, a perfect segue from what we experienced in January until now. January, we had the COVID-19. We saw the despair, disparities in, in healthcare and how disproportionate, uh, the marginalized people are disproportionately affected by it. And I think we found a connection. Something so small as a virus can affect everybody. And we realized how connected that we are. And then when um, social unrest happens, I think we, that's just an extension of it. We realize how connected we are and your pain is my pain. I see you. I see the light in you um, because it, it shines within me. So um, specifically what's going on, I don't know how deep you want to get into um, the catalyst for some of the movement that's going on. Uh, I, I think it's just a, at its core level, we realize that we are connected. Well, what was interesting about the time that everybody was home, and of course, you're a teacher, you're a high school teacher. So your students go home and you're, you, I, you know, I don't know what Pike Township had set up. I imagine you had to duct tape some stuff together to be able to pull it <laughs> off. Um, and, um, and, and so you had that disconnect with your students, and yet we all kind of, even within that, there were some kids have computers, some don't, some have internet, some don't, some have, some need multiple computers and there's only one. I mean, there's so much, just so many challenges there. And then you run into what we've just experienced here over the last, um, you know, week and a half. Um, we've got some things that we've got to come to terms with and fix, right? That's right. Apps. It's, it's a long overdue conversation, but, you know, even things that are overdue can still happen and we can still achieve the goal um, of, of inclusion, of equality. True equality in this, in this nation has never been achieved. And I think it's time that we, uh, in this generation, in this time, we, we fix that. Well, you're working with students every day. You're working with high school students, and then you've got a six, eight, and 10-year-old, and, and your book, while geared for younger kids, I mean, you told me your high school students love it too. I thought it was great. Yes. So wh what's so important about this message to inclusion, starting especially with our kids? Well, I, I think racism, I think bigotry, I think all those things are inherited from, from previous generations, from our parents, and what, what, what they taught and what they don't teach. Uh, I think kids are very uh, perceptive in what they pick up from, from our parents. And I think uh, if you just instill within our youth um, as early as possible the value of you are special and so is the person next to you, even though they're different. You know, our book Orange talks about Orange and her disability, so to speak, is that nothing rhymes with Orange. All the other colors, blue has true, red has Fred, green has mean, yellow has a fellow but nothing rhymes with orange. And I think um, it's easy when you find someone with, that's different from you to make fun of them, to be afraid of them, to ostracize them, uh, so to speak. And I think if you 
uh, instill those values of inclusion that everybody is special, even if they're different, they, they have a special place in this world. I, I think it can, you know, as hokey as it sounds, can make this world a better place. Well, it probably could. I think the thing I appreciate the book that I thought was so fun is that the, eventually the other colors realized they were wrong. Correct. And so they went back to make it right. And um, I wonder if, and, and by the way, I mean, that's a realization I've had in three years. I, I was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as a white guy, I was oblivious to what's going on. I just didn't, didn't see it and didn't understand it. And Charlottesville is what got my attention. I mean, but this is still happening in America. Like, how is this sort of thing still happening? Right. And so I talk to a friend of mine and she goes, um, yeah, like that's, that's happening and it's been happening for a long time. So that, you know, raised my awareness. Um, and so then I could go learn. And I felt like your book was almost basically saying the same thing. If we're going to be inclusive, we first have to have the awareness that we probably aren't being inclusive. That, that is absolutely correct. And once we come to terms with that, it's not something to be guilty about or feel bad about. It's just something that we just have to fix. Um, you know, you know, Shakespeare famously said ignorance is bliss and it is. And for 400 years, there's been a lot of willful blinding ignorance, uh, to some of the social, economic, uh, educational, racial problems affected by people of color, uh, in this society. And I think it's time now, um, you know, Gil Scott Heron famously said too, in the seventies, the revolution will not be televised. Oh, wrong was he? Because as those images get on television, I think it raises the awareness of, of people that um, uh, couldn't see it before. So then what's our responsibility? So once somebody becomes aware that, 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 that inclusion is not there and that we aren't celebrating diversity and, um, and that we aren't honoring each other, what would you say would be a step for some dads that are in this moment in history being uh, uh, awoken? Well, I, I think um, it's a few things. It depends on who you are and what's your circle of influence. Um, I, I guess in general terms, if you are um, not of color, if you're a white person, I think your responsibility is to go and educate other white people. Um, and I think it's, you know, because I think black people, we, we understand we're human. We understand we have a humanity. Uh, we understand the problems that's going on we have some things we need to fix internally as, as well, but we already know we're human. So we don't need that validation that we're human. We need you to validate that to other people that look like you to uh, have them understand that, you know, you can't make those jokes. You can't say that. And here's the history that supports that. You know, can I ask you, I'm sorry. Can I ask you though? Yeah. Tell me why that's so important. Cause everyone I talk to says, the white community needs to talk to the white community. The white, you know, I've got to, if I have a friend who makes a comment, I got to call him out. If somebody makes a yeah. joke, I got to tell him that's not appropriate. Why is that so important? Because again, that's just, that's just fear of influence. Um, that's who you're connected to, you know, um, you know, and proximity is very important. I mean, if you live in an all white neighborhood, um, I don't expect you to go to the black neighborhood or the Hispanic neighborhood or the Korean neighborhood. I expect you to stay in your neighborhood and educate the people that you have, that you touch and see every day, because that's, that's, that's your natural life. That's, that's who your circle is for, for better or for worse. It doesn't matter. That's just who you have connection to make those people better then branch out other ways. And I think it's important because sometimes, um, 
the ignorance about what's going on is innocent because you don't have that experience. You don't have that natural flow of touch. I've lived in New York for 12 years and we were, you know, I was there doing 9-11 as well. And 9-12, we're on the train with every single conceivable type of person that you can, <laughs> that you can think of. You know, someone that's, that's chic, someone that's Muslim, someone that's Christian, someone that's black, white, homeless, rich, poor. The mayor uh, would ride, you know, he wasn't the mayor at the time, but the coming mayor, uh, Mike Bloomberg, would ride the train with everyone. So a billionaire and a, and a pauper all in the same space. So it's easy to have that connection in a place like New York. But a place like Indianapolis, which is traditionally and historically segregated, you might not have that flow. You drive into work every day alone. You come home alone. And if you wanted to, as a, as, a, as, a, as a white person, you never have to interact with anybody of color if you don't want to. You can go to your job. They don't have to hire anybody of color, so you don't have to interact. You can go to the uh, grocery store in your neighborhood that doesn't have many people of color in your neighborhood. So it's very important because that's where you have the most reach and influence. So stay connected to your, com your community. Yeah, I mean, a part of India I grew up in was very white. It was, I grew up in the Geist area. I mean, it was just white. So, and, you know, I went to Lawrence Central, so the school looked different. And yet, even inside the school, we hung out in our communities. Correct. So I imagine as a teacher, you see that at Pike, um, that... I mean, do you find your students hang out in their communities and, and, and is that an issue or, or what do you, how do you handle that as a teacher? Well, um, yes, I see people sort of gravitating to their own space, but in my classroom, it's very open. Um, and, you know, sometimes I get amazed at the connections that we're able to make within the classroom. We got to we got a guy talking about, you know, Britney Spears. You know, one conversation I had with big burly football player and scrawny white kid. They were having this debate about is Britney Spears, you know, a, a great artist. And the big black guy was like, oh, I love Britney Spears. They were he was rattling off songs. And I was like, Where, what else can you have this conversation? Sure. And I like to codify those moments with my students to let them know that this is how we we, we built bridge the divide. You like Britney Spears, but would, do you, would you tell your black friends that you like Britney Spears? Would you, would you uh, reveal that to them? And it's okay to like Britney Spears. Does it make you less of a man? Does it make you less black? And, you know, we, I really try to hone in. I teach social studies, so I have that freedom to really hone in on these social ideas that this is how we, you know, you know erase sort of those lines that divide us. That's, that's fascinating. It should have been a short debate, by the way, just for the record, if she's a great artist <laughs> or not. I, I don't know. Okay, so, so let's take it out of the classroom. And I, I want to go in your house. And I'm curious about what the conversations have been like uh, with you and your wife and your three girls, especially over the last week and a half. Wow. So my girls, um, they have access to the internet. So they've seen many, many videos about what's going on. And I don't discourage that. You know, there's some graphic things that I would like to shield them from being so young. But then again, I think they have to see it because this is their time. Just imagine, um, you know, my mother who grew up in the 60s being shielded from the, the protests and things that are going on in the 60s. 
I think that had done her would have done her a disservice. So I try to talk to my kids as honestly as possible, and they have questions. Um, why is this happening? Why did uh, this man have to die? Are, are all police bad? And I have to answer those questions. A as a dad, A as a citizen, A and and you know, I'm sorry, A as a dad, B as a citizen, uh, C as a black man. Uh, D, as, as somebody that wants my daughter not to be jaded by what's going on and really live that inclusive life. So I have to have all those hats when I'm, you know, carefully talking to my, my daughter. And I'm honest with them. I said, I'm mad. I uh, went down to some of the protests. Um, and 99.99% of us were being uh, very respectful and very uh, uh, nonviolent. And peaceful and still were accosted by the police so i have mm-hmm. to explain this to my 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 uh, daughters that not all police are bad and a they're doing their job uh and they have a, a family to feed and it's hard to break ranks when you have a job to do uh, when it's taking money away from um, your family so yeah. i can i can feel the humanity on the other side uh, looking back at us, it, like we don't really want to do this, but we have to do this because you know we have to respect the law, we have to respect order, and sometimes that takes you know aggression to make that happen. Um, when it comes to something like uh, George Floyd or Amadou Diallo or uh, uh, Trayvon Martin or Tamir Rice and countless other names uh, that we have, um, Aaron Bailey is one that from any from my my local town, and most recently. Um, uh, Sean, uh, who died at the hands of police. Uh, we have to have that conversation that, you know, it's, it's, it's a system that we're fighting against. We're not fighting against police. We're fighting against police brutality. We're not fighting against, you know, one particular department. We're fighting against a system um, that historically has marginalized us. And as a history teacher, it's, I can give the history, historical context to my, my daughters and have them be honest with me about how they feel about what's going on. You went downtown on what, Saturday? I went on Sunday. Okay. Um, I, I was watching, obviously, I mean, you're in India and it's my hometown, so I was watching. I mean, Saturday, I was so impressed by the protest in the afternoon. It was, and I read that it was one of the largest peaceful protests in the country on Saturday, that the massive amount of people. And then, uh, you know, in the evening, it, it definitely got a, um, out of hand and got different. Um, would you be comfortable taking your girls to a protest that you knew would be peaceful, that you could, uh, you know, march freely through the city uh, or, or, or stand and, and speak to government officials? Would you be comfortable taking them there? Um, and if, you know, yes or no as to why? I, I'm going to answer that this way. I take my daughters out into this world that's not always peaceful towards people that look like us. Mm-hmm. So we take that risk, you know, in a way, every single day. A protest wouldn't change that fact or, you know, give me any less or any more anxiety about my daughters being there. So I would definitely take them because this is history that they're living in. And in order for them to change something, you know, you know I'm, you know, fortunate and in many ways privileged um, that I can take my daughters all over the world. Um, I've been to 30 countries. And my daughter asked me about Dubai. Um, I said, well, research it. Last summer, I took her to Dubai. Um, I want them to experience it. 
you know, not just read about it. I want them to touch it, taste it, you know. And just a few minutes ago, my daughter was talking about Dubai. She was talking about how hot it is because now she wants to go to Egypt. She was like, I don't want it to be as hot as it was in Dubai. And just having that conversation um, really helps her understand it more by being there. Mm-hmm. Understand what type of hot. 80 degrees mm-hmm. is not the type of hot in Dubai. <laughs> right. It was That's it right. was 112 in midnight. Right. So the same thing with the protests. Same thing with this history that she is living through. This is her time. Um, most definitely they should be there witnessing uh, what's going on. In all its beauty and its ugly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I do have some anxiety about my daughters being, being hurt. But at the same time, um, I am prayerful and hopeful that that won't happen. Does this particular moment in history feel different than other ones? It, 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 it does. Because when I was at the protest in Indianapolis, again, a very racially segregated town even to today. Yeah. I saw more um, white people than I've ever seen at these type of things. They vastly outnumbered the people of color when I was there Sunday. Vastly wow. outnumbered. And that got me emotional because that is how, you know, because the question has been through all these other times, what do we have to do for white people to care? The normal white person. So when it was in Bloody Sunday, you know, historical, historically, what captured the lay white person in Iowa that wasn't in Montgomery or Selma was the images on television. When they saw them on television, it was like, wow, well, they're not being violent. So all these lies that we've been told about these people, they're not fighting back, being nonviolent and still being attacked, that's immoral. Now it became a moral issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's what's going on. When you see a man's life for eight minutes being snuffed out, it captures you. And, it will, you know, and again, there's been many moments that weren't captured. Right. But this moment feels yeah. different because it, it feels like Bloody Sunday, where people are like, I'm tired of it. And legislation didn't move until the, the normal guy in you know, Wisconsin wrote his congressman and said, mm-hmm. this is ridiculous. You know, talk to his priest or his pastor and saying, this is ridiculous what's going on in the South. We have to do something. Yeah. Legislation followed immediately after that. I mean, right. you know, a couple of days later, Johnson is on television saying, we got to do something. We need legislation immediately. And by the summer we had it, but this feels different because in this time you got everybody. I saw a protest in New Zealand. I saw it in um, all over the world, people holding up signs and it got me emotional about saying black lives matter when the world over, it hasn't mattered. The world over it's been pilfering from black people, their ideas, their, 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 their chance to be represented in history, their land in, you know, in the, on the continent of Africa. And finally, people are saying these are human beings and their lives matter. So I would say yes. I think we're at a very good moment in history to really capture the attention of the world and really make some systemic changes. Yeah. Well, uh, we will find out. And um, it's interesting to hear about what you experienced on Sunday. All right. As we wrap up, what is your, your final word to dads? You know, just based on a message of inclusion, um, and understanding diversity, what's your call to dads? I call dads to be there. The role of a father is immensely important. Um, 
um, be there, whether you're with the, 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 your child's uh, mother or not, you have to be present. You have to be included in their lives because uh, especially girls, they, and, you know, they, they look for that, that first man in their life to fall in love with. And every other man is either compared, you know, on the upside or a downside to you. So be there, be honest with them um, and uh, tell them about your life. Tell them about your fears. Tell them about your, your experiences. You don't have to be super all the time. Be Clark. Uh, uh, because Clark was just as important um, as Superman. And when necessary, uh, and no, no matter what, they're going to look at you with the cape. So just be, uh, be there and be the best version of yourself as you can be at all times, constantly refining yourself so that you can raise uh, your children in the best way that you can. Well, and read orange to them, especially if they're fourth grade or younger. So tell us a yes. little bit about how people can get the book and how they can connect with you. Absolutely. I have a website. It's uh, www.dslack.com. Um, if you go there, you can um, buy my books and uh, buy all my books, uh, but see some of the things that we, we have going on there. So uh, dslack.com, um, really appreciate you if you buy it. Or you can buy it anywhere books are sold, um, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, et cetera, uh, but you get it directly from me. You know, uh, it'll arrive with a with an autograph. Oh, that's awesome uh, for you. That's awesome. Well, Derek, thanks for taking time out. I appreciate you. Uh, have fun in my hometown. Go Colts! And uh, yes. and thanks for being on with us today. Thanks for sharing and thanks for teaching us. Appreciate it's it. It's been so an much. honor. Thank you. So much great stuff from Derek, and we'll see. We're going to see if this moment does turn into a movement. And here's what I learned from him. It's my responsibility as a white person to speak truth to my community. It's my responsibility that, that when people I hang out with who say something or post something, whether it's, whether it's just flat-out racist or it's, or it's ill-informed, it's, it's, uh, it's my responsibility to teach, well, first to learn, and then to teach, and then to share. And the lesson that we've learned in our family this week is that can be tough. And we've got to be willing to do that. If this is going to be a moment that becomes a movement that truly inspires change, then, then we've got to be willing to have those uncomfortable conversations because, quite frankly, that's nothing compared to the uncomfortable situations and conversations that the black community has had to have for years. That's the lesson. Inclusion and diversity is important, and we can't teach our kids. I am going to tell you, if you've got... Young ones, I've got a rising third grader. Orange is fantastic. So go to dslack.com and get it. He'll sign it for you, like he said. A simple, nice way to be able to share um, how to be inclusive, how to understand diversity, and how words really matter in what we say. So I'd highly recommend it. I think it's a great book and, uh, and teaches some great lessons. I want to thank you for having this conversation with us, and we're going to continue it for a couple of more episodes. And so if you've gotten some value out of it, you've learned something, or you think it would help others, it would be great if you'd be willing to share it with somebody or, or post it on your social media or something. That would be great. If you'd rate, review, and subscribe wherever you're listening, I'd be honored if you did that as well. And uh, and then we're on uh, social media all over the place, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search at Positively Dad. You'll find us. I'd love to connect with you there. Finally, if you'd like to be on the show or maybe you know somebody who'd be a great guest, send me an email. Let me know. James at PositivelyDad.com. I want to thank you for listening. Have a good one. We'll talk to you next time on Positively Dad. Bye-bye.